the WTF1 post-race podcast. Mamma mia, that was a brilliant race. The Italian Grand Prix thrilled after a, well, two full starts thanks to Yuki Tsunoda. Sad times for the AlphaTauri man, not able to take to the start of this race. But even from qualifying, Carlos Sainz and Ferrari gave everybody, especially the Tifosi and the Hope fans, something to dream about. And he said, well, dreaming is for free. In the end, though, the writing was on the wall and Verstappen took his 10th consecutive Formula One Grand Prix win, making history. But it took him, Callan, a little bit longer than we all thought it would to get past Carlos Sainz Ferrari. I mean, I don't want to be the one who puts a bit of a downer on this, but I'm actually disappointed by how it went. I had so much hope for Ferrari and Sainz, especially. I was like, you know what? Verstappen is the filling in a Ferrari Panini here. They're going to be able to take the fight to him. And they just didn't. I mean, there was one moment on the on the radio where Verstappen sounded a little bit flustered where he's talking mm. about the Ferrari top speed, but it, he made one real go at Sainz into the first chicane. He came on the radio with some sort of sarcastic, like, ah, that was naughty remark. And then just waited for Carlos to make a mistake and then just breezed past him. That's my analysis. But equally, it is nice to see someone finally challenging Verstappen, sort of. I mean, but is has this really shown that you can't really challenge Verstappen this year? Because that's what I'm taking from it. Well, well, that's the uh, the pessimistic and depressing voice of Callan O'Keefe alongside <laughs> myself. Harry Benjamin, Hannah Atkinson is also here with us. Uh, really should have done that at the top of the show. Um, <laughs> well, please, but, please sound more positive, please. <laughs> than me. Come on, like, come on. That was... The caveat is, Hannah, that we knew, we know no one can really take it to Max Verstappen. We knew that. And the fact that Sainz literally fought like his life was on the line to keep A, Verstappen back, and then Perez, then his teammate. We haven't seen back. We haven't, no one has led a lap. No one has led a Grand Prix for as long as Carlos Sainz has done this year so far. I know. What a stat, first of all, by the way. I was shocked by that. Um, but I am going to be more positive because Thank I expected to that. see <laughs> I expected to see Max take the lead and run away with it. But I felt like we were treated to see 14 laps of science in front and he really held on for those laps. I think the last five laps of science being in front, I thought Verstappen was going to overtake every single lap. And he just didn't. He was held off. He then, he then got through eventually, but we all expected that. So I felt like we were treated at the start of the Grand Prix because I did expect Max to have a 10 second gap by lap two. He didn't. I honestly was was dreading it because I thought, oh, Verstappen's going to get a better start off the line. And by turn one or the exit of the first chicane, Verstappen's going to be leading. Day done. You know, let's just forget about it. Leclerc's probably going to get signed eventually because Leclerc is quicker in race pace over compared to science but come on Callan you can't sit there and say with a straight face that that wasn't a good race it's it's the hope that kills you I always say this about Ferrari right it's always and you know looking at the stats in qualifying I thought they had the straight line speed advantage especially with signs that was going to give them the edge in the race and I think it's because I actually I let myself believe I let myself have some hope that actually the Monza curse would come into play. We'd see Carlos Sainz or Leclerc win in front of the Defosi. It was, I think it was 102 years since the first day that Monza, on the day that Monza had held their first race. There was so many good stats in the way that I just thought it was going to be Ferrari's day. And I, I, again, I think it's from that racist perspective. I was kind of watching it and it, 
it didn't really look like Max had to try. He d- he made one effort. He waited for that mistake and then capitalized on it. And it's it's a testament again, and it's it's something that I think is worth mentioning because it should be mentioned all the time. He's he's doing things that we've we haven't seen done in a long time, and he's he's really writing his name as one of the greats of the sport. And it's just I just want someone to beat him. I just want something else. And maybe the fact that I allowed myself to dream was the fact that uh, I'm now sat here slightly more disappointed than everyone else. But I can well, see your point. I'm going to be more positive from now on. From for the next 40 minutes, I'm positive. What a race that was! I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. Let's let's. I mean, sorry, uh, sorry. Uh, Verstappen record breaking. It was fantastic to watch. I think he did have to fight a little bit harder than he thought he would do to get past Signs because what I thought Carlos Signs showcased, and I'm I'm a Carlos Signs fan because he's he's an underdog in my opinion because that is Leclerc's team. He's the Ferrari man, and Signs isn't as quick overall, uh, especially during race pace uh, compared to Leclerc. There's not much in it though, but Leclerc has it. Signs is has been so consistent this year, whereas Leclerc has had the headline results, but not as consistent. I still can't believe this is Signs' first podium of the year for a start. That stat of highest driver in the standings without a podium now, I can no longer say that now, I'm gutted. Um, but I mean, Callan, as the racing driver here, how impressed with you were how impressed were you by Carlos Sainz's racecraft and his defensive skills? Yeah, I think car placement was on it. As you guys said, the thing that I really liked is that he didn't just roll over and give it to Verstappen. He did. He he laid everything. He put everything he could on the table. And it was, you know, it was clear at the end of the race when he was fighting with Charles that he took a lot of life out of the tires to try and win the race, which I really appreciate. He wasn't just sat back and going, well, Verstappen's going to win the race because he's got a faster car, so I'm just going to let him through. He fought for those first 14 laps and then he did his best to keep Charles ahead of him. He was he He fought the entire race and... I think you know, it, the, especially those those the last part of the race when he was fighting with Charles, that was a really impressive and important statement for Carlos to make. To just say, you know, we all talk about it. It's we all say it's Leclerc's team, but if he can start regularly beating Leclerc and showing that consistency, because we know Charles is prone to making mistakes, then you know the, the future isn't quite as set because Formula One is is the way it is, but it's based off of results. So if he can keep beating Charles, which was to beat him at home on pace in front of the Tifosi. I think that's a good first step for Carlos in taking the fight back for Ferrari. Loved it. And the fact, Hannah, that Ferrari, thank you to Ferrari, they let them fight. They didn't call it off. I know. It got so intense at the end. I mean, post-race, both drivers said that they really enjoyed the battle, which was great to see um, and hear because I feel like a lot of the time when there's close battles and like almost contacts, the drivers... They tend to be a bit petty about it post-race, but I mean, their teammates, you know, it, I'm, I was really glad that Fred let them battle. But if I was him, I would be hiding in the corner, not being able to watch the screens because that was, it was quite intense and there were some really close calls, but it made for a really great last few laps of the Grand Prix. It was quite nice. It was quite nice for Ferrari, wasn't it, to be a meme, but because they were racing hard rather than like a, you know, it was the, you know, Charles take no risk and then it's him double locked into turn one sideways behind Carlos. <laughs> and it's like, it's you know, it, it. at least there was no, there was no pit stop mistakes. They made the right call. They had the tires ready during the, it's progress from last week. Isn't that it, great? Yeah, yeah. But do you, do you think though that maybe they should have, ordered signs to let Leclerc through. Do you think second was on the table for for Charles Leclerc, perhaps? Uh, Could they have split the Red Bulls on the podium? 
Who wants to start I, with that one? I think it would have been tough to do. I think it would have been tough to do that, to be honest with you. I think, you know, the Red Bull, especially in race trim, we've seen it this year, places like Spa, where they were lifting through a rouge. I think the statistic that I read online was that they were giving away somewhere between half a second and seven tenths a lap. People are catching up and it depends. It's very circuit specific, but I think the Red Bulls have just got the advantage. And, you know, when Perez is, is having a good day, he's going to maximize the car. And, and Perez actually did a fairly decent job. You know, I think he finished six or seven seconds off, or so maybe it's eight seconds off the lead. Yeah. yeah. Um, driving back through after, a, you know, another tough qualifying for him. So I, I just think the Red Bull just had the measure of the Ferrari today, of, of, of the Ferrari on Sunday, sorry. And, um, you know, it was. It's just nice to see them fight. I think you'd rather have a hard-fought podium. And as you said, Hannah, it's always good for a bit of excitement. And Fred, hopefully, his heart rate's recovered now. And, you know, it, the one thing that I have seen this year, and you guys probably will agree with it, is I'm really struggling to call the order behind Verstappen. Every weekend, I th- I'm, I'm like, this is it. This is the, the start of the run now where McLaren's going to do a good job. The only team really that's kind of come back again and been on form since the summer break is Williams. But again, that could all change. So I think every point you scrap for, every little fight, it matters. It matters for the drivers. It matters for the teams. And, you know, I don't know where it goes from here, but it's certainly a very strong result for Ferrari and hopefully some momentum for them moving forward. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, though, um, further down the grid, uh, two teammates playing quite hard and crossing the line, Hannah, in terms of the McLarens. Um they haven't they haven't been as fast as i think we thought they might be in the last couple of races after their you know massive climb since they took on upgrades uh, for what since the austrian grand prix really um norris versus piastri piastri was ahead to begin with norris frustrated on the radio he was saying he was faster piastri comes into the pits norris tried the undercut they come out side by side into turn 1 and there's contact that that is surely that's that's two McLarens not really playing the team game there, right? Yeah, that's what it seemed. I, I feel like it's it was a really frustrating one for me because I think Lando was probably the faster out of the two, but only slightly. I mean, like you said, after McLaren's amazing form the last few races, it seems initially they just weren't quite with it as much as they have been. So Lando being just inside the points and Oscar being just outside the points is probably where they deserved to be Oscar a little higher but obviously he had that contact with uh, not Verstappen Hamilton um, so because of this I felt like the overtaken you know trying to do that on your teammate was just unnecessary if they were fighting for a podium I'd understand a bit more or or higher up the points but it just didn't seem worth it to me I, I didn't really understand what went wrong really but it, it seems like they weren't playing the team game in that instance do you think one of them should have got a penalty, Callan, for that move between the two McLarens. I don't think it was worthy of a penalty. I think if you start giving away penalties for stuff like that, then we run the risk of opening that debate again. We say, just let them race, let them race. Mm. And I do think that it is, you know, potentially opening up this dynamic right of, you've got Lando Norris, who is the McLaren golden boy. You know, he's been looked after by Zach Brown since he was in, in F3, I think it was. He's You know, he's been a part of that stable forever. And then there's now... The young challenger coming in, we all know how good Piastri is. You just have to look at his previous results to, to know his pedigree. And he's now bringing the challenge to Norris. And it's, again, my numbers numbers are my strong point, but it's the first time I think Norris has had a really consistent teammate challenge him in terms of pace and be consistently within a tenth and a half to two seconds, two tenths, sorry, and sometimes even be quicker. So I, I don't know, you know, Lando's always had a pretty good relationship. He's a bit laughy, a bit jokey, but I don't, 
I don't know if this is just the start of a little bit of tension. I know Oscar yeah. from racing against him myself. He's not going to come in and take a number two seat. That's not the way he operates. And, you know, he wants to come into Formula One to win. And in order to do that, you have to be your teammate. So maybe it's just the start of, of something that's bubbling over. But yeah, I don't expect that uh, inter-team rivalry to die down anytime soon. I, I think Lando's got, got trouble coming his way. I think he's I do got as well. trouble. And I wonder if this doesn't... Oh, we could get into a whole rabbit hole here. We might have to save it for a non-race, a non-post-race podcast. But does does Piastri's rise, and if he's able to start getting consistent? Let's remember he's a rookie. Norris far more experienced compared to him. Does this kind of spark maybe Norris to start looking around and going, "All right, well, maybe I'm going to have to try and." go to a, a red bull or maybe hello my old boss um uh, andreas seidel have you got any space at audi in a couple of seasons time i'll leave that in the air i'll leave that <laughs> hanging and we'll come back to that at some point because there was lots of talking points throughout that race of course um we talk about penalties uh hannah just then um none for the mclarens but both mercedes picking up five seconds each uh russell for kind of elbowing um it was ocon wasn't it uh off uh, off the chicane in uh term one and uh hamilton also getting another five seconds for coming across on piastri uh which he owned up to and said and apologized to him he said sorry i just squeezed you it's a classic move coming into that chicane as well we see it time and time again every every season uh, almost someone does that um so first of all do you think those penalties were deserved and then also we talk about being unable to pinpoint this sort of battle for who's behind maybe red bull this weekend it was certainly ferrari but then then it was the mercedes but they were kind of on their own i think both penalties were, were probably deserved i mean russell cutting the chicane for what seemed like no reason at all i mean of course he didn't purposely <laughs> do it but uh, it seemed like playing it safe would have been the best thing to do and, and with hamilton in the moment i feel like that contact with piastri looked way worse than it actually ended up being like i think because of the cut uh, on the coverage it was like a cut and then 0.5 seconds later they were you know touching each other and uh, piastri's car was just went crazy so i feel like him coming away with minimal damage and not having to dnf was was pretty lucky for for piastri um but i think it was more so hamilton's fault maybe like 70 30 I'll, I'll say that um so I think I understand why the penalty was given and it was deserved, but it was nice to see Hamilton apologize to Oscar post-race as well. That was that was nice, but he definitely deserved that penalty, 100%. Both Mercedes did, I think. Yeah, the Hamilton penalty, you can't really argue that. You can't, you have to leave a car's, if there's a car alongside, you have to leave a car's width. And it doesn't mean one car's width with a little bit of contact and then nudging them off. But as you say, you know, He's he's been around long enough. He sort of you know put his stuck his hands up and went. That was my you know my bad. But it it is something we see a lot at, at Monza because if you attack into the second chicane, it's so easy to overshoot in between, and then the driver can switch you back and then get the run into Lesmo one. So you know everyone pushes the limits there when they defend. Everyone's really really tough as well because it's very easy to roll off the brake and go on the outside and have the inside for for turn fives or the second part of the, the second chicane. So you have to make sure that you make the move stick and he. Uh, just made it stick a little bit too much, didn't he? The the Russell one I found strange. I don't know what you think about it, Harry, but it just it didn't really seem necessary, as you said, Hannah. I, I don't I don't really understand why he just took took to cutting the chicane rather than trying to get it stopped. Because if he if he got it stopped, Ocon obviously would have missed it and he would have gotten the position anyway. So it's it's Monza laziness, maybe a bit of brain fade. What do you reckon? 
I reckon he probably was like, oh, I can't be arsed fighting this Alpine. I'm going to get past him anyway. I, I'll take the five seconds if it comes my way because I'll be well up the road. And he was. So, yeah. you know, Hamilton was able to cut through the field as well after a poor qualifying. Hamilton really had a uh, struggle, like a tough weekend, really, actually. And then finished, you know, a bit off his teammate, but he had such a massive gap behind him that he could suck up that five second time penalty as well. So, I think for, it ended up with sort of damage limitation for Mercedes. I think they'll, they'll take that one. They didn't have the Ferrari or Red Bull pace, but they were well ahead of, of the Aston Martins, the McLarens, who, who were stuck behind the Williams of Albon. But the Aston Martins had a, had a really anonymous race, I thought. But um, we'll come on to that because behind Hamilton was Alex Albon in the Williams. <sighs> what a man. What a when, man. I know, but Callan, when do we then, when do we stop going, oh, what a standout result and just go, well, yeah, that's Albon in a Williams. It's normal. I I I don't know. I think because it's not something we're used to seeing, we can just enjoy it. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring some positivity back wow, from my side. Here we go. <laughs> just because I like Alex. No, he, I think I think it's one of those things, isn't it? When you're consistently, you know, look at his qualifying record. He hasn't been unqualified by his teammate this season. And I know Sergeant's a rookie, but Sergeant's a driver who's won races in junior categories. He was fighting for the F3 championship. He's he's been on his own journey to get to Formula One, and he's. He's, you know, he's won. He's done a good job. He's not a, he's not a slouch in a race car. So to go and destroy your teammate in qualifying the way he's done, to be producing the consistent results, to be taking the fight to the teams around him, I think you can't really ever stop commending that because as soon as you do and as soon as it becomes normal, you kind of lose sight of what an amazing job he's doing. And, you know, I think Alban, again, anyone who knows the story that he's been through, he's not had an easy time to get to Formula One. He had those few years with Red Bull. Everyone knows how how troublesome it can be to come out the other side. And he's just really settled in and made himself at home at Williams. And he's building a really great team around him. And, you know, you got to give him, you got to give him, you know, a, a pat on the back for what he's doing. And I, I don't think it's ever going to become normal because of the last few years. It's never really going to become normal watching a Williams fight could, like comfortably in the points. Maybe in a year's time if it keeps happening. But for now, I'm just going to enjoy the surprise of it happening every weekend. It is nice. And this was a track, Hannah, where if it was going to suit Williams, it was going to be here for sure uh, with, with the straight line speed advantage they have. But on the other side of this, uh, Albon's really showing up Logan Sargent now. I think we discussed this on the podcast last week. This was his last race before the finale in Abu Dhabi that he will have had previous experience of from his F2 days. And he wasn't there in qualifying. He wasn't there in the race. I mean, James Vowles is still verbally, you know, showing support. But when you've got Albon performing at the level that he is, I mean, he's really making Sergeant look rather <laughs> not good. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, I think um, at the start of the season, I gave Sergeant the benefit of the doubt way too much. I, I mean, obviously, he is a rookie, and rookies take time to, you know, settle in. He had to freeze to distract all of our attention. <laughs> yes, that's he very did. true. He did. Um, uh, so I, I feel like. I gave them benefit of the doubt and now it's starting to be like, okay, when are you going to start performing? Especially because of the gap to, to Alex, you know, not beating him in qualifying yet. And the races as well, they just don't really compare. Do I even go as far as to say a stroll in Alonso comparison? I'm not Ooh. sure. I'm not sure. Um, but now that the Williams car is much quicker um, and the form that they've shown the last few races, it, he needs to be stepping up his game. And, and while the car is this good, he needs to 
really make the most of that. And as a team, they need to make the most of that. And Alex is doing that, I feel like. But Sargent just isn't there. And who knows where Williams will be at the end of the season. They might drop back down again. Other cars might catch up. So while that they're as quick as they are now, I just think they need to make the most of it. And having a teammate so far down and Alex being performing so well, it just... It's difficult. It's difficult because he is a rookie, but this is where he needs to step up and he hasn't been. Well, it, it does feel like, though, he's got the, the right man is there in James Vowles, Callan. I feel like he's the kind of guy who, who will put, you know, an arm around the shoulder. Yeah, I mean, I saw a, this is completely unrelated and forgive me for this tangent I'm about to go on. But I saw James Vowles in the pit lane during the Formula 3 feature race and he was talking to someone, I think it was one of the, the, the team people from Trident, and the way he was holding a cup of tea, he was holding it backwards with his fingers in the hole. And I was just oh. like, it, I was just like, you know what? You know what it reminds me of? Reminds me of a dad. I was like, this guy is wholesome. He's woken up on a Sunday. He's got his morning cup of tea and he is ready to just, just have a wholesome day. And that's James Wells, you know? And I think, you know, it, he, Logan is a very complicated racing driver. If you, if you look back at, for example, when he was an FIF3, there was a season where the year that Piastri actually won, he was kind of the man who was going to win the championship. He was, he was on for the, the championship until Monza. He had a problem. He fought his way back through the field in Monza. And I still remember watching it back because he was getting super hyped on the radio. Every time he made a pass, he was like, come on, come on. And his engineer was like, calm down, calm down, calm down. And then going into the, the Ascari chicane, he drove across the side of Vesti took Vesti's front wing off and gave himself a puncture and, you know, losing those points is inevitably what gave Piastri the championship going to Mugello the following race. And I, I do sort of see that with Logan and maybe it's unfair to have that, that previous bias on him, but he does just seem a little bit too emotional. I mean, every time we see him in a position where he's able to capitalize, Zanford was for me, the race where he was going to finally announce himself in Formula One, two big crashes later. And it's, it's what could have been to what is now. And, I, I like to listen to the interviews that drivers give because I think it gives you as a as a fan or as a keen observer a really good insight into where their psyche is at because that's the most important thing. And he doesn't sound confident and positive. He sounds dejected when he gives interviews and he's, you know, constantly making excuses for the performance and everything. And that doesn't fill me that he's gonna have the confidence moving forward to build himself back up again. So let's see. Maybe maybe I get proven wrong, but Everything I'm seeing from the outside, it, it's not looking good for a strong end to the season for Sargent. I I worry actually that this this kind of paints rookies in a bit of a bad light. I mean, I know we've got Piastri performing really well, but with those teams towards the back, when you've got an Albon showcasing great performance consistently, it does make surely you and the management think, right, well, we just need another guy who's maybe got two or three years experience as well already and has shown already that he's good. We'll stick him in that car. And suddenly it's not just seventh and 13th, it's seventh and eighth or it's sixth and seventh. They've got and a massive bag of points. Look at what Haas did. They tried the rookie front and it didn't go well. And now they have, they've stuck once again with Magneton and Hulkenberg, who are probably doing as good a job as they can in that house. Let's be honest. Magnuson is better in the race. Hulkenberg's better in qualifying, but the car is rubbish overall. So they, they were the only cars <laughs> lacked in that race. Can you believe it? So I think Magnuson said at the end, that was the worst race of my career. We've got a steep hill to climb. But at least they've got the experience to be able to deal with that. 
and also develop that car hopefully into a better car next season albon has that Sargent doesn't and then it just i worry then we'll see less chances in the future given to the young talent coming from from f2 you know we had gabriel bortoletto on the show a few weeks ago he just claimed the f3 championship you've got Teo porcher and frederick vesti in f2 are battling it out and that's going to go to Abu Dhabi. It looks like he's going to be poor chair. But, you know, are Alfa Romeo going to take a punt on him or, or Sauber when they could have a Bottas and maybe a Joe again, who's now got a couple of years under him and he's he's not binning it into the wall that often, bars Anvil, but that wasn't his fault, let's be honest. Um, it's so just, I don't know, that, you know, everyone, that's, everyone yeah, exactly. So that's, that's just my initial thought. I don't know. Am I, am I, do you think I'm just sort of a bit of doom and gloom there or or is that genuine? No, I, I think, think it's it, <laughs> I think it, it makes total sense to to feel like that. And I hadn't actually thought about it that way before, but I do completely agree. And I think if you're a team that's kind of lower down in the pecking order, you're you, you might chance bringing a rookie in, but the only downside of a rookie is they obviously are brought in because they have the talent, but they lack experience. And if you're a team that need to improve and, and need to get further up and you know fight for the top three or the top five or the midfield even you might want to bring in a driver with experience because they know exactly what to do in certain race situations and they know how to develop a car so it does make complete sense for a team to want more experience which you know is a shame for the rookies i completely agree i think it all comes down to perception again as well doesn't it and you know this is this is something that i can't stress the point enough to young drivers. Winning is great, but actually I think what Formula One teams are looking for now more is consistency. You know, as you said, it, it's about, it's it's not about the standout performance once in a season, especially if you're with that sort of midfield to back team. It's about always being in the window so that you can capitalize from the mistakes of others. And I think sometimes that's something with drivers that are a little bit overlooked where, you know, we're always looking for that one race where, the person in a Haas goes on to stick it on pole, like Magnussen in, in, in Brazil. You know, there's always that circumstance, but then you never. You, it's it's a great result for the for the media and for the story, but then it never really results to points and money, which is what Formula One teams need to make a faster race car. So I think you know, if if I was running a race team, I'd be looking down and I would be giving junior talent a chance because I think there's there's a huge pool of them. F two, F three, F four, Frecker. There's, there's a huge crop of young drivers coming through with a really bright future ahead of them. But I think if there's, there's a point for a young driver to stress and, and something going forward, it's, it's focusing on consistency because being consistent in the championship, you race, building yourself, carrying yourself well, showing good emotional control. Those tend to be the things that actually make a difference in formula one. And I think that's something that's far too overlooked when we're having that discussion of, you know, who's who's the next big star to come through. It's more who can come into a team and build themselves because we never base them off the first race. We base them midway through their rookie season and at the end. Unless you're Nick DeFries, of course, then you don't even make it to the midseason. We miss you, Nick. Please come back. <laughs> <laughs> Do I mean I mean Lawson did is doing a pretty good job. Lawson no, is doing a pretty good job. So actually I did say on the podcast last week that I thought he was going to beat Sonoda on raw pace and he got so close in qualifying. Oh, he was really close. He was he is doing a remarkably good job, to be fair to him. After after Zanfor to come in, do the job he's doing. I'm really, really impressed with Lawson, and I'm gonna hold my hands up and say I didn't think he was gonna be doing the job that he was doing. I don't know about you guys. No, and of course we, we didn't get to see what Sonoda could do because he conked out on the way to the grid. I feel like Sonoda has somehow gotten away this year without we haven't really been able to get a proper gauge on him because he trounced Nick DeVries, but then they got rid of DeVries. Ricardo 
I mean, we couldn't, we didn't see enough. And then, you know, in a, when Lawson gets super close in qualifying, let's see what happens in the race. Who's going to finish ahead? Well, of course, we don't get to see that because Sonoda gongs out. So I don't know. Hannah, how do you view the AlphaTauri situation? Because Lawson right now, I think, is staking a claim for that seat nicely. Yeah, absolutely. If I was Ricardo, I would be nervous. I mean, it, it's difficult to compare the two because we've seen Ricardo return for two races. Was it, is it two? Um, mm. and, and Lawson now has had two races. And I feel like Lawson is on par with Ricardo so far. I mean, he really has impressed me. Um, but it is, I, I'm one of the people that are hoping for a Ricardo Red Bull seat in 2024. I know that's a hot take in itself. Um, but I am hoping for that. And now obviously because of this whole situation, I felt like he might, might've been brought in mid season to prep him for an F1 seat in 2024 as well. So now because of the hand and everything, I think it puts him in a really difficult situation because Lawson just is showing up. I've been so impressed with him. And yeah, I, I don't know. If I was AlphaTauri team principal, I would not know what to do right now. Can we stress though, where's next? Singapore is the hardest Grand Prix of the entire mm. year. Like there's, if there's ever going to be a challenge, it's Singapore. The heat, the 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 lights, the track itself, that's going to be the real test for the drivers who are coming in, you know. I think if Sargent can produce a good result there or Lawson can produce a good result there. Like, if Lawson has a good Singapore, I wouldn't be surprised if he keeps the seat for the rest of the season. Then if he keeps performing, I wouldn't be surprised with the way Red Bull are. They just stick him in the second seat. They just go, oh, go yeah. on, have a go. <laughs> it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be crazy, would it? We, we, you know, it's yeah, Red Bull Although, although Red Bull, I think I heard Helmut Marco say, you know, he, he wants Ricardo back in for the rest of the season because that's what they agreed. And he wants Lawson yeah. to finish his super formula, uh, his Japanese super formula season. Because, you know, think a few years back, Gasly, I believe, was doing super formula and he got the chance to come in for an F1 race. I think it was it to replace Kvyat probably a couple of years ago. And he did a couple of races and then and then there was a clash I think it was Austin or something like that, and and everyone thought, oh, well, Gasly will just was was just go again. But no, he prioritised his Super Formula Championship finale, and then I think that's where we had Brendan Hartley. Kind of. Yes, Brendan Hartley. Yeah, the, the last the last Kiwi before Lawson. So and then that's and so and then, the cycle and that begins again. Chance. Exactly, and then I think they brought Kvyat back. That was the time where they were sort of really being mean to Kvyat. They were bringing him in, taking him out, bringing him in. Tough, tough run for old Daniel. Um, it's, I, yeah, wow. He's doing fine now. He's got a nice Lamborghini contract. Um, let's move on, uh, though, to... Uh, I mentioned anonymous, and I think that's a good word, uh, if I do say so myself. Uh, Hannah, to describe Aston Martin. I mean, Fernando Alonso probably getting the most out of that car, and that was only a couple of points for him. Uh, and Lance Stroll, I mean, that plaster on his neck is clearly costing him about six or seven tenths. <laughs> yeah. Stroll's qualifying was just so awful. I mean, for the race, I mean, qualifying absolutely last. For the race, I hope to see him kind of make his way through the field a little bit. I mean, I wasn't expecting him to make all the way himself all the way back to, you know, P10 or something. But he would have hoped that in that Aston Martin, they'd be able to make their way through the field a little bit. But 40 seconds off his teammate Alonso at the end and only managed to overtake the two Hasses. It just... You can just tell that if Alonso was in that car, it would have been a different story, in my opinion. And when that's the case, if you're Lawrence Stroll, you've got to start thinking about what the next steps are. I mean, there was tennis rumours for Stroll last week, so yeah. maybe he <laughs> should consider it. The best Christmas present for Lance Stroll will surely be a, a, a different career. Um, <laughs> yeah. but- 
<laughs> no, no, come on. Lance is Lance is a good peddler. Like he showcases, he can get on the podium. He's got pole positions. Something's clearly not going right from Callum right now. Um, but at the end of the day, and I've had this debate so much already this season. Aston Martin, if they're really serious about going for championships and fighting with the the big guns, they need two drivers that are capable of scoring points consistently. But on the other hand, this is a team that's sole purpose is to exist for Lance Stroll. Yeah, it's it's I don't really know how to how to phrase it because it's difficult to say without causing this blows the to pay driver market way out of like this is this is like nothing yeah, we've ever seen I mean, before. I've I've been in motorsport for 13 years, 14 years, whatever it's been, and I've seen some some pretty ridiculous things to try and get kids to Formula One. I've seen people, you know, remortgaging their house and like putting they'd sell the last brick they had in go karting to try and get them. To buy Aston Martin is when you think about it, it'll be something in 10 years' time where fans of the sport talk about it, or whatever 20 years, people look back and go, "Why was that allowed to happen?" You know, and it's <laughs> it's kind of unfair, isn't it? Because we've just come off the back of a discussion where we're talking about rookies not being able to showcase any potential, and then they should be kicked out. And it's like, ah, oh, well, you know, one of the most probably stable and and one of the best seats in Formula One because it is Aston Martin is just being given to someone because their dad owns the team and we're just like, ah, it's fine. We just, we just breeze over that. And I, I think you're right. I think if they're serious about actually taking the fight, they have to get some, he either needs to up his game or they need to bring someone else in who will do a better job. It's a great seat to have alongside Fernando Alonso as well. I mean, what a opportunity for a, if, if you brought someone in who you're serious about, say for example, like a Drogovic, you could bring Djokovic in, you could build him alongside a driver of Fernando's caliber and experience. And then you have a really great team leader for the next five to 10 years. If he well, steps that's, what hoping, that's what they're hoping to do with Stroll, though, right? Well, it's not really working, is it? How many how many more years do you give him? <laughs> is, you, you, know, you forget how it, long he's been in Formula 1 for. He's actually. been in Formula 1 I still forever. see him as a young driver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's still only in his second season. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, you know, at what point do you go, well, you've, we've, we've done this for you. We've, we've mm-hmm. done everything. That I've done everything. I'm Lawrence Stroll. I've done everything I could do as a father. You know, the, he, he's, he's had such opportunity he has had some good results but he's not delivering on a consistent basis just give Drogovic half a season that's what I'm saying just give put him in give him half a season we're not saying we're not saying goodbye to Lance we're just saying go and see how good your your, your forehand is go see if you'd like a double-handed <laughs> backhand and then come back and we can make a choice that's all I'm saying <laughs> You'd be a great team manager. Great team yeah. manager. <laughs> yeah, just slight tangent on that story of um, uh, of how you know Stroll buying essentially what was Racing Point or Force India, then turning it into Racing Point and then becoming Aston Martin. I was once sat next. So this was this this year actually. I was sat at this fancy dinner party next to somebody called Mike, and I was like, "Hello, Mike. What do you do?" And he was, I think, I can't remember what his role is, but some sort of lawyer or solicitor. And he was like, oh, I oversaw, um, I, I work quite heavily in Formula because I oversaw uh, some teams going into their administration. So you remember Virgin Marussia? Um, oh, yeah. I saw them and Caterham. And I also oversaw the selling of, of uh, Force India at Racing Point to Lance Stroll. But that apparently, he was telling me, went down to the wire because there were two buyers that were interested. Um, it was either going to be Lawrence Stroll or Vladimir Putin of russia yeah yeah and and 
it it was so tight and and I think because Russia wanted a presence on the grid because they kind of had it through the Marussia team but then that went that went haywire so they were desperate to try and get another presence on the team but then Stroll basically forked up an inaudible amount of cash at the last minute and went round to the solicitor's offices at like 2am in the morning while they were working on the paperwork and just knocked on the door with a bunch of um of Stroll's sort of henchmen and said, is the deal done? And Mike went, well, almost. He went, great, I've got I've got the champagne. Let's celebrate right now. And <laughs> he got the champagne out and, he, and, and Lawrence Stroll even got the doorman, the security guy, to let them in and gave him a bottle as well to celebrate. And I was like, wow, what a story. And hey, that could have gone so, so wrong. Uh, <laughs> so, a little side tangent for you on that. Um, thank you, Mike, for sharing that story. Um, look, before we come on to our WTF1 podium, um, Valtteri Bottas stole the final point for the Alfa Romeo team, which... Callan, I don't think we saw coming after what was a pretty shocking weekend for Alfa Romeo. They could even couldn't even get out of their garage in FP1 without anti-stalling. Yeah, I I just think Bottas is doing a good job. I think Alfa Alfa Romeo they haven't got a quick car this year. But again, it comes back to the thing of you know, are you able to capitalise when the moment arrives? And obviously, Bottas is one of the safest pairs of hands in Formula One. He's he's always there and thereabouts, isn't he? Even if he's not spectacular and Nice for him to steal a point, especially with that retro helmet that he had, which kind of destroyed my brain a little bit looking at it. Obviously, it was like a, someone's face, and I couldn't quite work it out for the, you know, I couldn't work it out until Sunday afternoon what it actually was. But then when I realized it, I was like, oh, that's very clever. Nice little Monza retro helmet and a nice point for uh, the, the the cyclist from Finland. Very, very happy about it. Mm. And um, I thought, though, the best part of Alfa Romeo's weekend was probably the livery. I quite enjoyed that. Oh, it was beautiful, wasn't it? I mean, if there was a weekend that Bottas would, you know, finish in the points, make it this one. The, the, the livery was beautiful. And I think because of how close the battle is at the bottom of Williams, House, Alfa Romeo and Alfa Tauri, Bottas scraping those points is a really good result for them, I think. And I feel like we didn't really get to see much of Bottas on the uh, coverage. I feel like I didn't see him all race, um, which is a shame because we missed out on seeing the livery, which is obviously the most important part. <laughs> <laughs> always, always. But he stole a point for, for what it was worth. So well done, Valtteri Bottas. Um, okay, then time for our podium, everybody. So uh, I want uh, your star performer of the weekend, your worst performer of the weekend and your biggest surprise performer of the weekend. Hannah, you can start. Who was your star performer? It has to be Sainz. He was my star performer. Uh, his defence against Max in the first 13, 14 laps was, was fantastic. First podium so far in 2023. Uh, it seemed like Ferrari could only do third and fourth. I mean, maybe second if Perez wasn't performing, but he was up there. So I think third and fourth was the best result they could have asked for. And the fact that they were so close together, you know, further echoes that. It was just great to see them battle and science came out on top. So for me, it has to be science. And it was just the cherry on top with the Tifosi and the podium. And it, it was a great watch. So science for me. It was special. What about you, Callan? King Carlos, 100% King Carlos. What a lap in qualifying, you know, and, and more impressive for me was was the fight with Leclerc. I think Alban, Alban gets a mention again for doing his job, but and what a job he did, but it's, it's got to be science. And especially that fight with the clerk the last few laps mm. to keep him behind, I think was a, was a really good effort. And, you know, he was, he was lacking on tires. So hopefully again, 
we can see Carlos take more challenges, more Ferrari fights. And uh, I would really like to say this now because I hope it comes back. Some I'd like to see Carlos win for Ferrari at some point in Monza. That would be an amazing story. Maybe next it year, would, who knows? Oh, I just want to see Carlos win overall. I want. I just think. You know, out of all of Max Verstappen's teammates, let's not forget, Carlos Sainz probably, and I know Verstappen was, this was in his Toro Rosso days, of course, so maybe not a, not as accomplished as he is now, but Sainz, Sainz was pretty damn good against Verstappen. And, and Sainz is clever and he did what he had to do. And I think he realized, well, there's no future at Red Bull for me. So he hopped around pretty much every single team going uh, and, and performed every time. So yeah, it's a clean sweep for Carlos Sainz, I think, for our star performers. Um, worst performer of the weekend. I'll go first, Lance Stroll. Oh. Callum? That is Lance Stroll, 100%. Anna? It's the third Lance Stroll of the day, yes. Oh. <laughs> it's a clean sweep for Lance Stroll. Oh, it's sorry, nice. Lance. It's nice he's won something. This weekend. Yeah, exactly. nice, he's it? on the podium. He's on the WTF1 podium. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, Callan, your biggest surprise performer of the Grand Prix. I I would say Williams, because I well, I actually know because I did think that they'd be faster. I'd say Alpin. I thought they were going to be a little bit stronger than they actually were, because they just just struggled. Coupled with that, maybe Aston Martin, just because they're a little bit anonymous. I thought I thought we would see more of the kind of like front runners of the midfield, like a Gasly or something. You know, Gasly's mm-hmm. won there in the past. I know it was for AlphaTauri, but it's a kind of place where I think the driver can make quite a big difference because you have to be strong on low downforce. And the drivers who I thought were going to be strong in the teams that I thought were going to be strong at, at Aston and and Alpin, they just just weren't that strong. What what's the name of the team, sorry? <laughs> Alpin. <laughs> no, that, that, that's a cereal bar, I think. Uh, Alpine. Alpine. Are you taking the piss out of me because of my accent? Is that what you're doing now? <laughs> I mean, I know you're South African, but you, you like Albon. You could be from born and bred in London. I, I love Alex Albon. He's a proper British geezer. Well, um, Albon's another one. I haven't called you up on that yet. Uh, but hey, I will. Um, and how do you say Leclerc? Leclerc. Charles Leclerc. Okay, perfect. Hang on. Uh, well, well we, this is not, not a lot of time. I think it uh, makes a fair point. Um, wait, so who did you say in the end? Who was your Gasly? Uh, Alpen. 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 Alpine. 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 I was listening to Fred Vasseur in a podcast in uh, the build up to the weekend. He calls them uh, Alp- Alpine, I think. So, uh, yeah. I'm just going to start calling them Alpine, but really for Alpine. Alpine. Every time. Alpine, I, uh, Alpine was uh, not good enough for me, you know? Oh, God. You can tell we're getting to the end now. Right, Hannah. <laughs> Biggest surprise performer of the Grand Prix. Well, I touched on this driver earlier, so I won't repeat myself too much, but Lawson for me, um, I think he, you know, he's just been really impressive. He's only been around for two races. And I, you know, when he came in to replace Ricardo, did not expect him to be as good as he has been. And I think you couldn't really ask for more from him. He's not been like the most incredible driver in history, but I think, you know, for having only done two races is great. Yep. No, nice, nice picks. I'm going to go uh, biggest surprise performer was Ferrari for me for letting them race it out so hard and fast, in my opinion. So uh, that was a surprise. And also, you know, they got their pit stops done okay. No major strategy blunders. Biggest surprise goes to Ferrari from me. All right. Thank you very much, uh, everybody. That brings us nice to the end. We're out of time. And there's a little break now for F1. Not long. uh, Just... A weekend off uh, before we get into the Asian leg of the championship and head uh, to Singapore, as Callan said, one of the toughest races on the calendar. And then Japan, as Max Verstappen edges closer 
to his third F1 world title. Callan and I uh, will be here next week to preview Singapore as well. But in the meantime, make sure you are following and subscribe to the WTF1 social and YouTube channels. And for myself, Harry Benjamin, Callan O'Keefe and Hannah Atkinson, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.